millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the review show for this week's episode on homelessness and rough sleeping with special guest Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham. I'm Connor Pope, Deputy Editor of Progress, and I'm with Progress Director Richard Angel to be looking back over the past few days in politics, responding to some of your comments and questions, as well as flogging some high-quality Progress mugs. This week I spoke to Andy Burnham, the Mayor of Greater Manchester, about the issue of rough sleeping and homelessness that he has been tackling as part of his new role, having been elected to lead the 10 local authorities coming together in that great city of Manchester. And homelessness has been in the news for other reasons this week. Firstly, a Scottish charity did some research with Scottish people that found that 41% of people questioned were fearful of approaching homeless people. And that's obviously a kind of worrying situation that talks about the growing divide that we find ourselves in this country. And one of the things that Andy encouraged listeners to this podcast and other progressives to do is get involved in some of the homeless charities that are out there working with homeless people to try and help that. And that might be a way of overcoming this phenomenon. But also the mayor of Greater Birmingham, the Tory Andy Streeter, went over to Finland this week to see about how they're dealing with rough sleeping and the programme that they've put in place to try and reduce rough sleeping. It's not just Labour mayors who are doing it. I think that we should see there's a kind of monopoly on progressives to tackle these issues. What was interesting, I thought, though, was that Andy's approach of trying to bring together a communitarian and direct action response to dealing with homelessness in the city was one that I thought was really interesting and personally quite inspiring. Last week, I went through some of the travails the Tory government is going through at the moment. And in fact, when New Statesman political editor George Eaton wrote earlier this week that Theresa May faces three enormous challenges. One, the investigation into allegations of sexual harassment against de facto Deputy Prime Minister Damien Green. Two, the upcoming EU Council meeting. And three, next week's budget. Her own Chief of Staff, Gavin Barwell, replied on Twitter asking only three. The big question this week, though, is why, despite all of that, Labour are not further ahead in the polls. Pretty much every newspaper and politics magazine has featured at least one column taking on this subject over the past few days. And Richard, you were on television debating this very topic with Matt Zob cousin, Corbyn cheerleader, the other day. I was, and he was in full cheerleader mode. And broadly, his argument was, in 2017, Labour at its best is doing as well as Blair at his worst in 1997, that somehow because... What we are on the polls today is what Blair was on polling day 
1997 that that somehow is a success and then he pointed out himself that we're in a two-party politics and things have changed and lots moved on in 20 years etc and it was a bizarre position I think for him to hold and you know it's a complacency that is setting in in the Corbynite leadership of the party and the new establishment as they try to change the Labour Party in their own mould focus on internal factionalism rather than winning the country it is I think now holding Labour back and they just think that because 2017 was so much better than they had expected that somehow that coming second is really the new coming first and that all that this now means is the Tories will only get worse and therefore Labour will have to win and I don't think that is quite right and even if that were right why would you be complacent about that? I mean, what I found really interesting, Katie Balls, the um, spectator columnist, wrote about it in the I newspaper this week. And she pointed out two things. One, which is that after the 1992 election in the November of that year, uh, Labour were 20 points ahead under John Smith. And two, that actually Theresa May, one of the reasons Katie Balls says that they're doing so well still is that um, Theresa May is still trusted on the economy more than the Labour Party. Uh, And so actually that does kind of make next week's budget a really big deal because obviously it always is, but specifically this time because there has been so much coming from the Tory backbenchers about kind of losing their economic agenda and changing it as a reaction to this year's general election that it could actually mean that they lose out by showing that they're changing and trying to adopt what essentially would be a Labour-light economic agenda. They neither look like they are truthful about what they're putting forward and also kind of costing a lot of votes from the economic trust that they'd built up over the past few years, even if that mistrust has also meant that we've been able to do a lot better than we have done, which I think is quite interesting and I'll be really interested to see what they do with the budget because I really have no idea at the moment. I think they haven't got as many options as they would like to have and there was reports that a group of Tory MPs went to meet Philip Hammond to call on him to end austerity this week and equally you've got people who want him to spend huge amounts of money on planning for a no deal scenario so I think they'll end up spending quite a bit of money in this budget but on things that the public invariably won't see and won't either deal with the frame of dealing with anti-austerity nor will deal with the no deal scenario Um, but it is worth and what kind of Matt and others wouldn't kind of contemplate in the debate this week is that there remains issues in the public with Jeremy Corbyn, his style of leadership, ultimately his political background and his politics. There also is a real lack of talent on Labour's front bench, I'm afraid, that some of the good people are chairing select committees and serving on the back benches. Jeremy Corbyn didn't welcome people back after the general election in a way I think many people thought he would having kind of come together as part of the general election. I think that means that other than Keir Starmer, a few of our front bench are really landing a blow on the Tories and what they're doing. And ultimately, we're not proposing to be an alternative government. We have an alternative to what the Tories are doing, sometimes line by line or policy by policy, but we don't still look like an alternative government. And the test for that is when we suggest things, it has to reasonably pass the test of would you be doing that if you were in Downing Street right now? And we either don't offer up things that do that, or when we do, they don't really seem to be meeting that challenge. I think we should move on to a few of the comments that we had this week, because actually we got a few questions from Deranged Yoshi on uh, Is that his actual 
iTunes. D- 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 yeah, that is not a descriptor that I have given. I believe it must be some sort of Super Mario reference. But um, they, they left a few questions, the first of which it was off the back of your um, television appearance. They said, Richard said, you're worried about the 2017 coalition not holding if people see that the party is now Corbynite to the max. But why do you think that's not showing up in the polls? So kind of the opposite of what we've just been talking about. It's like, actually, if your assertion there is correct, why are Labour still doing so well? What was unique about the general election and the manifesto in particular was it reconciled economic security and the nation's security. But immediately after the election, that second bit of renewing Trident and having strong national defence and, of course, staying in NATO was essentially pulled down by a combination of Corbyn going to Glastonbury and since things like Young Labour and whatever, bringing the latter bits into question. And I think that is why we're not... There's, there are certain people who should be really annoyed with the Tories and aren't coming over to us and are kind of stubbornly saying on their side of the bench. But also, Labour Party isn't being... JC to the max with the public. We haven't heard about tuition fees really since the general election. Some of those bits that were big ticket items are being kind of hushed under the carpet, not because they're finessing the manifesto, but because they're trying to basically, you know, play down essentially, I believe, their real political position, which... So uh, on on, on, on the topic of tuition fees, this actually is Yoshi's other question, which is how can Labour unring the tuition fees bell without depressing youth turnout? And also... He wants to see if I see any value in uh, Votes at 16 as an engagement strategy and what other ideas I would have to get young people engaged in politics, which I know is something that you feel very strongly about. I do. Look, the simple thing on tuition fees is it is good and important to offer people hope but it is worse to offer people false hope. And that's what I believe the tuition fee promise was. And I think lots of people actually knew that. Many of them, young people themselves, people I talked to, they didn't really believe that Jeremy Corbyn would get rid of tuition fees completely, but that he might do something to bring them down. But I think that if that was in a real contention in a general election where it looks like it's highly contested in in the next election, Jeremy Corbyn is the front runner for prime minister, that will be tested to a point in which people will know that it is offering a false hope. And I think that if we continue to have that policy, it will actually depress turnout potentially generally or even inspire turnout against us. But there were many other things. And and more importantly to younger people was Labour's promise to stop a hard Brexit and our ability to try and get the benefits of the customs union and the single market, which you can only have by being in them, was as a promise. And that was more important with younger people than some of the retail offers with tuition fees or other things. On the votes at 16 thing, I just, I don't believe that it is a particularly good long-term engagement strategy because I think it feels a bit more like a gimmick. And I think any engagement strategy that essentially sees it as a way of forcing people to vote, I know that, you know, people on the left and on the centre-left also kind of talk about compulsory voting as another thing. Which I favour. Well, you've done a lot of campaign work in Australia, which has compulsory voting. And again, that is not something that I would support. I think actually, if you have policies that actually do appeal to people, and, you know, I think the tuition fees policy that Labour had is an example of that. It's just not one that I think is very good. But actually, if you do have things that would make the lives of people better and are able to sell it well, then you are doing a good job 
and people will vote for that. So that is essentially why I, uh, I wouldn't go along with it. I think the point is right that the change to votes at 16 is a gimmick in that sense and it's a one-off dividend you might get back. So there's some novelty if you're the first loss of 16 and 17 years get to mm. vote for the first time. But that in itself isn't a strategy. The opportunity, it seems to me, is that most 16 and 17-year-olds are in some form of organised community. You can therefore have a kind of hustings with all the politicians in front of them. The politician would love it. I think the young people will love it. They ask the most difficult and poignant questions. And that, that if that doesn't be the fora of which engages them, then broadly nothing will. But the key is, if you get people voting the first time they're entitled to vote, they often keep voting throughout the rest of their lives. And something to try and change that would be a positive thing. That seems lost at 18. The opportunity is there invariably at 16. I think as each week goes by and more comments come in about this, it becomes clearer and clearer what a minority I am in. I think uh, the next time there is a Labour government, this will just become law. I think that's true, partly because the positive experience of having votes at 16 in the Scottish independence referendum means that they're now going to get it for people in local government elections. I think that will end up being a positive experience. I don't think turnout will be particularly high amongst young people, but I think the young people who engage will engage brilliantly and certainly as well, if not better than their peers who, who are older than them. And I think it is becoming an inevitability that we want our young people to take their stake in society. So next up, we had Mary Wimbry. She left an iTunes review saying it was thoughtful, rational and engaging policy discussion, which is nice. And after my chat with Alison about technology earlier in the week, Andrew M says that he's fully in support of artificial intelligence if it is A, more efficient than humans, or B, able to play for Liverpool at centre-back and keep a clean sheet. It is as yet unknown how good robots are at gag and pressing, but we will see. Robbie Young says, if you haven't tuned in to any of the At Progress Online podcasts yet, you should, not only because it's brilliant debate and guest speakers, but because Connor Pope's voice is easy on the ears, NGL. You've got a fan out there. I, I, I'm like a Labour moderate Barry White, I think, is, is the most apt comparison that I can think of. Well, you've got fangirls, so... <laughs> Keep listening, people. Finally, on Twitter, Simon McKeown asked when me and Richard would finally go off and join the Democrats or the Radicals. Well, he's in the US, so he can join the Democrats if he wants to. But he's a, a constant feature on my Twitter feed with <laughs> often unpleasant comments. And he doesn't normally add nice things to the debate. But I'm Labour through and through. I know you are, Connor, and we ain't going nowhere. Anyway, so Richard, would you like to choose a winner? I'm presuming your favourite comment of the week wasn't that final one. It wasn't, no. I think Deranged Yoshi has to be the winner, not least for listening to not only this podcast, but me on TV at other times <laughs> and having serious and thoughtful questions about how we go forward. So oh, We have another copy of uh, Gordon Brown's memoir in, in our office, so we can give that away this week if they get in touch with their uh, name and address. Yeah, so please get in touch send an email to office at progressonline.org.uk or send connor and i messages on twitter at connor pope or at richard angel or at progress online and we will make sure gordon brown's memoir is in the post so the other thing we're giving out a mug to the competition winner from connor's political pub quiz question so remind us what it is and give us the answer what well, debate is still raging over the last week's quiz question is this a gate yet this bolsover versus huddersfield war that has uh, broken out with people now even claiming that coventry northwest is also an acceptable answer to that question question i think this row is threatening to overshadow the burgeoning 
North Korea-America conflict. And <laughs> I'm presuming that over the next few days, a fleet of Russian troll bots will be uh, spamming our Twitter field account with Huddersfield-based memes. But the, the Russians will do anything to make that happen. We do have a winner for this week's question. My question was about which two MPs nearly came to blows in the Commons voting lobby in 1985. It was Benji W who was correct. He said that the argument was between Robert Kilroy Silk and Jeremy Corbyn. Kilroy Silk claims that he landed a punch. Corbyn says he used the runner line. Back in those days, obviously, Kilroy Silk was a Labour MP before he resigned in 1986 and triggered a by-election so that he'd become a daytime TV host. Many years later, he was sacked for being racist and then went on to become a UKIP MEP. And didn't he once say he was next but three to be Labour Prime Minister or something? Oh, very possibly. I think he was always a bit of an egotist. And, yeah. you know, I think it's incredible that he clearly retells that story of the near fight with Jeremy Corbyn as though he was somehow in the right by attacking one of his <laughs> colleagues violently at work. But anyway, a, man. a mug in the post to Benji. If you could also email your name and address to office at progressonline.org.uk, we will sort that out. So remember to send in your comments and questions, leave a review, rate the podcast, subscribe, share it with your friends and family through iTunes and other podcast platforms. And we'll be back with the Progressive Britain podcast on Tuesday next week with the wonderful Alison McGovern. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast with Connor Pope and Richard Angel. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crampton.